All right, welcome to the Robin Podcast. I am your host, Keizo Shimamoto. And today I have three of my good friends in LA to talk about the LA ramen scene. And, you know, you know, I was born and raised in LA and these are ramen freaks just like me. So we're going to get into it today and sort of discuss where the LA ramen scene has grown in the past like decade or so and where it is now and, and what we see in the future. Uh, so first up, uh, let me introduce Rafael Cuenca. <laughs> Did I say that right? That's correct. Uh, otherwise known as YOLO Diabetic. Welcome to the Ramen Podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up in LA? Uh, and then what is, you know, the first bowl of ramen that you had? Born in the Philippines, uh, raised in Los Angeles. Um, I lived here for the past 38 years. Um, so yes, I'm a local. Um, first bowl of ramen uh, was this... Uh, that I can remember was this, uh, I, I guess it was, I think, I believe it was a chain that tried to break into the Los Angeles market, like in the nineties, this place called Mikoshi. Um, I believe they're owned by Moss Burger or Moss Group. Um, uh, they had like a teriyaki chicken ramen that was like made for the Western palate. And I remember as a kid, wow. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I, I tried to look for photos of it on the internet and they do exist. And it's like, it's literally just like some plain looking ramen with like chicken teriyaki on top of it and like cabbage, you know, like uh, it was wild. But I, at the time when I was a child, it was my first introduction into ramen. Um, I thought it was delicious. And uh, and I, got, I think I, I told the story on, a, on another podcast as well. Like they there was like an infographic on the on the wall of this restaurant that said, like, it's OK to slurp your noodles like it's it's considered uh, a polite gesture in Japanese culture. And I, I grew up in a household where my mother was like, we don't do that. <laughs> we, we don't slurp noodles. That's impolite. And, you know, just to piss off my mother, it was, uh, it was a joy for me to slurp those noodles. And I was like, I love this food. Uh, it, it makes my mom mad. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it tastes delicious. And that was my first foray into, into ramen. And, um, I guess, uh, and I guess like, like any college student, you know, um, you get into eating ramen packs and cup noodles and, uh, you know, seek out that type of food. And, uh, uh, and that's how we got here. <laughs> wow. All right. Teriyaki chicken ramen. I didn't expect to be talking about that, but I think we should that's right. uh, later on after <laughs> I introduce everyone else. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah, next up we got Sean Bentz, otherwise known as Ramen Fiend on Instagram. And welcome to the Ramen Podcast, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, let me let me hear a little bit about your background, where you grew up, um, how long you've been in LA, and what your first bowl of ramen was that kind of moved you to become a ramen freak. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Kezo. So first of all, let me say I am not related to Eric Bentz, even though we have the same <laughs> last name. And we're both very hot, passionate about uh, ramen, and I'm like probably like you know one one thousandth of the cook that he is. Um. So I was actually born in Shanghai, China. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I've been in Southern California um, for the last 26 years now. Um, I, I grew up on instant ramen. I remember just growing up, coming home from school, like my two favorite things to eat was either just to cook a pack of instant ramen or uh, pick up a 99 cent Whopper back then. Um, so, I mean, I absolutely loved it, ate it through college. And after college, one of my friends was the first one to introduce me to like a ramen shop and an actual real bowl of ramen. And he took me to Koryu. Um, it's now closed, but it's a legendary shop in the Orange County ramen scene. 
And at the time, um, you know, I really didn't appreciate it because it tastes night and day from like the instant ramen that I love so much. But I was like, you know what, it's pretty decent, Uh, you know, kind of nice having real meat and real toppings. But again, the soup and the noodles were so different for me, it, it didn't really resonate. It wasn't probably till like five or six years later that I went to Santuka inside the Mitsuo food court and had a bowl of tonkatsu. And for whatever reason, that bowl just really, really hit. I mean, it's just so creamy and unctuous and delicious. I think that's when I really started, um, you know, really wanting to go to ramen shops and take different ramen bowls. And, you know, that's pretty much how it all started. Gotcha. Yeah. I wanted to hear someone say tonkotsu was like their their immediate impact, you know, to to the ramen scene. So, yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, and then we got Jay Chung, otherwise known as Dine and Drink, kind of a legend in the food, LA food scene, quiet legend. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're about the same age. You know, we kind of grew up probably eating the same ramen shops around town. Uh, so yeah, let me hear about your experience. How's it going, guys? Um, yeah, I, I was born in Seoul, actually, but we immigrated to SoCal before I was even one. So I've lived in SoCal almost all my life, uh, except for when I went away to college. But um, it, like everyone else, started eating instant ramen at home. Um, Sapporo Ichiban was like my addiction, like from childhood. Um, I actually don't even remember the first ramen shop I went to, the first bowl. I'm guessing it was probably either at the South Bay or Monterey Park. Um, just cause my dad always worked in the South Bay. So I grew up eating at a lot of restaurants around there. And then, um, uh, I had like really close cousins in Monterey park and there were a few like ramen shops in Monterey park. I remember going to as a kid. Um, they're all long gone. I've been like searching for any evidence of what they were, or what their names were, but I can't find any. Um, cause there was always a clear distinction between like instant ramen and Korean ramen versus like Japanese, Japanese ramen at, at a ramen shop. Yeah. So I don't know which bowl it was specifically, but I'm guessing it was probably a shoyu or a miso that I had first. Same here. You know, I, I grew up in Southern California. I was actually born here, um, lived around Orange County in LA most of my life, went to UCLA. Uh, so, you know, when I first started eating ramen, I don't even think there was tonkotsu on a menu here. Uh, a lot of these shops were like that old school chintan. And it's funny because, you know, I was going through my blog and when I started in 2008, 2007, you know, I was going through the list of all the shops that I went through and believe it or not, there was like over 70 ramen shops or shops with ramen on the menu back then. Um, but there was only a handful of tonkotsu and, you know, a lot of those chintan, you know, the, the clear lighter broth soups, those shops are all gone like all the mom and pops, like it's pretty sad. So, you know, I kind of want to talk about like the rise of tonkotsu and like when that was and then why that was. And, and you know, that I think LA was kind of the first tonkotsu boom that kind of drifted to the East Coast, to New York, uh, when, when they got like Ibudo and stuff. Um, Sean mentioned Santoka. I remember when Santoka came out and yeah, that was like, damn, a nice flavorful soup, flavorful broth, and that kind of put ramen on the map. Um, but doing a little research, I think one of the first like true tonkotsu ramen shops was Shinsengumi in Gardena. Mm-hmm. And 
even like they're like 1996 when the ramen uh shop came out and at that time too like i don't think tonkotsu was really the thing um and it didn't become a, a serious thing until like maybe daikokuya kind of uh came out in mm-hmm. little tokyo and that kind of kicked off the craze uh with tonkotsu and then you saw a lot of shops popping up after that you know you had jinya come over you had you know like santoka and and you had yamadaya and it just seemed like they were just you know they kicking out all the chintan shops um but that was that was such a great time too when i started the blog in you know early mid 2000s and you had a mixture of these really good tonkotsu shops and these old school ramen shops but now i feel like a lot of it has has changed uh, i wouldn't say necessarily for the worst um, because a lot of quality shops are here now from Japan, um, but it, it definitely is different. And I just want to see what your guys' take on that was. And like, you know, I'm, I know you haven't been like blogging about ramen for a long time or whatever, but just from the fact that you've grown up here and seen it, because I, I I was actually away for 11 years, you know, living in Tokyo and New York. And during that time, like it did change a lot. I just want to kind of see if you guys noticed some kind of change during that time. It, it's it's cool that you mentioned '96 because I didn't know for sure, but I went away to college in '97, up in the Bay Area. And then when I left, there were no I didn't know of any tonkotsu shops. There were no like lines to go eat ramen. That was the biggest thing. The biggest shock was I came back to visit from college one day, and someone was like, "Dude, you got to go to this restaurant." It was Shinsengumi, but the one in, in OC. And I remember waiting probably an hour and a half to eat a bowl of ramen, and it was tonkotsu, and I had never had it before, and I hated it. <laughs> 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 and then literally every shop I heard about after that um, popping off in L.A., because I stayed up in the Bay Area for about eight years, um, but you know, friends would tell me about Shinsengumi, Daikokuya, Sujita, all these places, they're all tonkotsu. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And especially um, where Sujita was, where, or is, um, there were a couple of really, really good old school ramen shops. And they, you know, one by one, one of them moved and I think got sold to somebody else. And then the other one shut down. And so it's exactly what you mentioned, where as tonkotsu just kind of took over everything, all these shops that that everyone loved growing up, they all just evaporated. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so for me, like, it it was the opposite of Jay, because as I mentioned, Santuco was the first ramen bowl that I really loved and took seriously. And then that's when, you know, I heard about Shinsengumi and Dekakuya and all these other tonkatsu shop. And at that time, you know, there were no, you know, I, I didn't really know about Keizo's blogs. There were no podcasts, of course, or anything like that. And I thought, basically tonkatsu was the be all end all ramen. Like if it wasn't tonkatsu is probably some like cheap off brand knockoff of ramen that didn't taste as good. And it really took me a while to like, you know, get out of that mentality. And I I did have go to a couple of non tonkatsu shops back then. Um, There was a fairly popular ramen shop back then called Zaton Ramen that did like a lot of chicken based ramen. And I did go there pretty frequently just to switch things up. Um, but I'll admit I mainly went there because I thought their chashi was amazing, more so than their ramen back then. Um, 
but yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I'm like, wow, you know, they make chicken based ramen. It may not be as real ramen as tonkatsu, but you know, it's still enjoyable. But you know, I'll still go back to Shinsengumi or Santuko for my go go to. But I, I think it really is, um, you know, nice to break out of that because obviously it's a very heavy, rich style, and you could like only eat so much of it before you start feeling sick or your body just uh, you know starts doing terrible things. All right, Raphael. Okay, guys, mute your microphone because I'm going to talk for a really long time now. <laughs> um, I don't know, being in Los Angeles for as long as I have, um, kind of, I look at the way ramen progressed to where it is now into like eras, right? Like, Keizo, you were probably familiar with like, you know, uh, restaurants like Koraku, Mr. Ramen in Little Tokyo. Uh, a lot of the shops, I would call it like 90s ramen, right? Yeah. With some of these restaurants that have been around and that are still open um, for 30, 40 years. Uh, like, that have like kind of a similar menu right where like you, you find bowls and styles that like none of these modern shops are making anymore um so like places like uh yeah like mr ramen uh ramenia yeah uh in west la uh umemura place where we frequent often uh this place called iboshi in lomita um they have like a very distinct style where like i think when people look at it it does look very dated and old but it's like a it's like an homage, like an era of ramen, you know? And for me, um, my first foray into like really getting into ramen, just like uh, Sean mentioned earlier, uh, like eating at uh, Shinsengumi and uh, Santoka and Daikokuya in, in Little Tokyo, Little Tokyo um, those were like the bowls that kind of blew my mind and made me get really excited about uh, eating ramen in Los Angeles. Um, so I feel like, yeah, like I think the, the, the prevalence of, Tonkatsu in general, it's kind of like a gateway bowl into ramen. Like I, I think tonkatsu is usually the first style that someone has and they're like, wow, this is delicious. I want more of it. You know what I mean? Um, and then I think once you uh, further delve into um, the different styles, you find out there's other kinds. And uh, after that era of like Santoka and Daikakuya, uh, the, the, like you said earlier, the chains came in and kind of like showed uh, people in LA that there are different styles that exist, but it ultimately came back to tonkotsu. Yeah, why do you think that is? Do you think it's the creaminess of, of the tonkotsu? Is it like the flavor bomb that Americans can relate to? I mean, I, I've had a lot of shoyus too that are really flavorful, but it's like people don't seem to take it as seriously. Like, I don't know what it is. Is it the color? Is it the smell? <laughs> I just I just think personally like like tonkotsu is really easy to, to like as soon as you have it it's like it's like a kick in the in the in the face because it's fat it's salty it's like wow it's, it's easily it's kind of like if you can compare it to cinema right like uh like watching a Fast and the Furious movie that's gonna be fun right like there's gonna be a lot of booms and 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 uh, fast cars and all these things but there's no like subtlety and dialogue or something like that you know what I mean it's not gonna win any Academy Awards. Uh, but, uh, I feel like sometimes the other styles, um, like the, the, the shios and the, and, and, uh, shoyus and misos, um, there's a little bit more nuance in those, in those, uh, uh, bras where I feel like, uh, it takes a little bit more appreciation to get into those perhaps. Cause I feel like it's with tonkotsu, it's just so easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask Jay. Uh, since you know you have the experience of coming down to eat shinsengumi for the first time and and you hated it, like what made it 
you know, what was it that made you hate it and not like it? Like, what was it some experience that you had with ramen that you were kind of expecting it to be something else? Yeah, I think it's exactly for the same reasons that Raf said that it's easy for people to enjoy it. I wasn't expecting like a fatty, salty, like, you know, not okay. A big part of why I hated it actually was the lie. <laughs> it wasn't the wrong. <laughs> That's fair. Why I in line for this but well, thanks yeah, for standing in line for my shop <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, the payoff was a little different though that's the that's the difference but um yeah i think it, it is the fattiness the saltiness the heaviness that i was not expecting or used to at all um like with your bowl specifically you, we could have three bowls of ramen at shack and not feel gross at all. Like we feel really full, obviously, but <laughs> you could go through the rest of your day and not have to take a nap. Whereas like tonkotsu, like as soon as you have it, especially like you know the the crazier styles that got more popular later. Yeah, I don't know. At least for me, my my stomach was was complaining and the MSG overload and it just kind of would feel really really gross afterwards. Even if it was you know pretty tasty going down, you paid for it. Um, but I think exactly like Raf said, it is an easy access point for Americans and especially non-Asians because it's like concepts that are more familiar to them. Pork, obviously, number one up front. People love pork, whereas like I show you based on Niboshi or something, they're going to be like dried fish, like what the hell? Um, and bone broths are something that's you know common in a lot of other cultures. So like they kind of can gravitate to that and specifically american people like ref said like they love fat and salt <laughs> so i think made it very very um attractive for for a lot of people and then it, it made sense for shops to keep selling it because that's what people wanted do you think like maybe i should call him santoka sean <laughs> but do you think <laughs> when you eat so do you think americans like when they eat ramen they expect to feel that feeling, you know, uh, I don't know, like that, they say darui in, in Japanese where you're full and you're like just um, too full and just whatever. Like, I mean, do you think they're used to eating like that? So like a tonkotsu bowl, when they eat it, they're like satisfied and they just don't want to do anything after. And that kind of gets the norm. Like if they eat a really clean bowl of ramen, they're like, what is that? That's that. That's not <laughs> I don't feel like crap, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's exactly what the American palate wants is they want something really big, really bold, just really filling. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at the dining landscape in general, like, you know, we, we like any restaurant you go to, like, you know, especially chains, like you get these massive portions of food, which, you know, is probably a lot more than you need to intake for any one meal. And I definitely feel that like, you know, Tunkatsu definitely scratches that itch. And j just my experience, like, again, going back to uh, Santuka, um, you know, I loved it because it's just so rich and so creamy and so salty. And I, I love that like pork cheek torniku topping. And I, I remember just sitting there in the food court and like, I'm getting fuller and fuller and fuller, but like that soup was like crack. I just couldn't stop, you know, slurping it or sipping it. And I knew I was going to feel miserable and fall into a food coma in my office, but that wasn't enough to deter me. I just like had to like get every last drop and it was just, you know, the MSG and just everything else. Um, it, it just really, really hit. Even today when I go to like some ramen shops and I'll see like families or couples there and, you know, you see people ordering tonkatsu and then you might see like, you know, 
one or two people in the party, like maybe order the shoyu or order a veggie ramen. I feel like they're not, it even sounds like they're not really doing it because that's what they enjoy, but more like, okay, I'm here because the rest of my group wants ramen, but you know, I just want a healthier option, not necessarily because I like it, but because, Hey, you know, a, a chicken soy sauce broth sounds, you know, a little bit better than like, you know, fatty pork broth. Yeah. I also think with the tonkotsu, like once you have it, it's kind of addicting to like when someone tries to introduce a new option to you, you're like, why would I try that? You know what I mean? Um, Cause I remember the first time I had like daikokuya or uh, uh, shinsengumi and santoka. I would like hang out with Japanese people and be like, yo, you gotta try this other broth. And it was like, I show you a shield. I'd be like, well, I don't want that. Like, that's not what I'm used to. Okay. I think it's hard to break that cycle of being like, let me try something different. And also when you do try something different, it doesn't like hit the same way as tonkotsu does. So you're kind of like, maybe I'll stay away from that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I've definitely got to the point where I think all of us can agree that once you delve in, uh, I know you guys really well. We eat, we eat ramen together all the time. Like almost, We don't eat tonkotsu anymore. You know what I mean? I feel like once you really, really get into it, that when you see the, the wider world of how big ramen is, different styles, it's like tonkotsu, tonkotsu is just one small facet of it all. But I, I feel like, uh, especially in Los Angeles, it, it is by far the most dominant and uh, people don't even like to talk about the other styles. Uh, and I think it comes to the point too, where like when restaurants want to open up a new ramen concept, they're like, we have to have a tonkotsu on the menu because they're scared <laughs> um, about, um, you know, not being able to sell because people are going to like tonkotsu sells here. And that's the bottom line, right? Um, like yeah. you think about all the major chains and all the major, uh, like whenever the, the food media comes up with these lists, like whether it be infatuation or eater or even the LA times or whoever, it's all like tonkotsu chain dominated. You know what I mean? But if you talk to people that are super into ramen in Los Angeles, like those, uh, those places are not on their list. Yeah. Um, Shit, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Keep talking, Raph. <laughs> well, I, I could do that. <laughs> well, I think the, um, in terms of like the, uh, the tonkatsu scene, like I think the four of us all wish that the American palate would progress and just move past that and move more towards chintons. Um, and every time you think that's heading that way, you know, we have this like Hironori phenomena, which is like just blowing up like all over California. And, you know, that's what they're about is these rich tonkatsus. Um, but you know, sometimes there is hope. Like I remember when Kitakata first opened up, um, you know, maybe 15 years ago, um, even though technically that is a tonkatsu, but you know, it's more of a chinton, not the Hakata style. I, I remember going there and then I was like, what is this? Like, you know, it, it says pork based ramen, but it's nothing like whatever I had. And the very first time I had it, I thought it was very off putting. I, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, but then for whatever reason, I think I went back six months later, um, had it again and I, I really started liking it. And that's and one thing that was surprising to me was that um, that tonkatsu shop or uh, that kitakata shop in Costa Mesa was blowing up. Like if you didn't go there, like you know, right before opening or right before closing, I mean, you probably have like forty-five to sixty minute wait. And even though it was like night and day from what Santuka and Chensungumi and Dakukuya um, was serving, like it was encouraging to see like you know this shop making a completely different style attracts such a big following. Um, but again, then you see like these other tonkatsu shops that do, do the cause style blowing up. So I think, you know, the American palette is open to other things, but um, not quite there yet in terms of just breaking out of it. I think that's, that's interesting that you bring that up because for Kitakata Banai, I do think they target, you know, more Asian population 
it, like if you notice, you know, they're next to an uh, Asian market like Mitsua or something and like their new Gardena lo- or Torrance location is next to like an H Mart. So they do a good job of scouting out like where to open a shop. And if you go there too, like I think you see a lot of Asians eating there. I don't know if that means anything, but, uh, you know, I think the Asian palate is more into the lighter soups um, just from personal experience. Uh, but, that, but yeah, I mean, that doesn't really say much. Um, I wanted to go <laughs> back to like the a shop coming out with something different, but eventually having to put a tonkotsu on the menu. Um, our friend Hiro-san at Kashua Ramen, you know, their concept was a tori paitan. And initially that's all they had on the menu. But eventually people, I guess, start asking for tonkotsu. Like they come in, oh, this isn't tonkotsu. This is what? A tori paitan? Like, what does that mean? I mean, it's still cloudy, you know, and it still has impact. But in order to please everyone, he ended up putting a tonkotsu on the menu. And you see a lot of shops come in now and do that as well, like Munchiken and Fountain Valley, which is, I think, one of the top rated shops right now. They came in with an entirely different concept of salmon ramen that didn't fly at all. And, you know, they have a tonkotsu on the menu as the headliner now, um, along with like a bunch of other chintans, which, which, are, which are really great. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, trying to please the market. And but at the same time, like I want these shops to kind of stick it out, like if they can, like you know, like don't fall into that tonkotsu trap. Like just keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, you know, make it work. You know, I say that too, but you know, I put a tonkotsu on, on my ramen, my menu. Um, nowadays, like when, when the Shinsengumis came out, when Santoka came out, like these broths are like really rich and really like made properly. You can like sense that like Jinya, when they came out, it was like, oh my God, Jinya, this tonkotsu is like next level. I remember Jonathan Gold wrote a, a really like high praise article about them. And that's that was a good time too, like for tonkotsu ramen in LA. I think even though like it was starting to spread all over the place, it was really good tonkotsu. But I, I feel like now, you know, that tonkotsu has kind of taken different iterations and people have taken shortcuts and you know, I I don't want to talk bad about any shop or anything, but, you know, obviously in order to keep up with uh, the rising costs to like open a ramen shop and to sustain it, you know, you have to kind of take shortcuts in certain places. And I feel like shops are kind of doing that too much now. Um, Mm. And I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like, do you guys notice that at all? Well, I was going to say, going back to Hiro-san, um, I remember one time, like, I, I kind of joked around with him, and I was like, I was like, wow, you're, you know, because he does make some chintons, like the cold shoyu and the lemon yuzu shio, or the, uh, the yuzu shio, and, and things like that, and, and they're pretty phenomenal bowls, and one time I, I joked around with him, and I was like, I was like, hey, Hiro-san, you should, um, you know, take the tonkatsu off the menu, and then, you know, do more chintons, and, and he just said, like, oh, I would love to, but I would go out of business if that happened. Yeah, why do you think that's so, like? Yeah, because he just... <laughs> His customers just demand it. They're used to it, and, and that's what drives them there. So. so I think I think when I talk to a lot of, I guess we call them ramen casuals, right? Um, that like, unfortunately, it's like the, 
Tom Clancy is what they think ramen is. You know what I mean? I hate to say it so like plainly, but uh, so I feel like when you have a new concept and you're trying to introduce a nice uh, nuanced show you or show to a casual, it doesn't sound so appealing to them. You know what I mean? Unless it's like, uh, like, do you guys remember when uh, Afudi finally came to Los Angeles, right? They opened up that giant shop in, in the arts district. Um, I thought that was a, 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 a breath of fresh air, number one, because they're not a tonkotsu restaurant. Um, and uh, also, they're a big, famous name from Japan, right? So I feel like it opens up the dialogue in the city to be like, hey, uh, let's try that new hip place in, uh, in that hip part of town. And it's not in tonkotsu. And I think that was a, a nice uh, uh, opening of a dialogue to people that want to try different styles. You know what I mean? But uh, ultimately, um, I don't know. When I talk to Robin Casual, people always come, always comes back to Tonkos. It's all they want to talk about. So I don't talk to people like that anymore. It's tough. It's very frustrating <laughs> when people um, want to talk about ramen in Los Angeles. You know? Yeah, I feel Afuri is a breath of fresh air, but I don't hear much about it. I don't hear many people talking about it. You know, like the chains yeah. that people are talking about right now are like Nagi and stuff, and. Mm. and you know like of course ibudo but um ibudo kind of la i think new york ibudo had more of an effect on ramen in america than than la ibudo mm. but but yeah um tujita you know tujita has a, a great like they're known for a man shop but they have a great bowl of tonkotsu ramen on there um because it was kind of produced in collaboration with with tanaka-san um which is famous ramen shop like tonkotsu ramen shop in tokyo but yeah getting getting kind of into that too like okay santoka when i first ate santoka you know i loved it i loved the soup but that noodle was like what what the heck is this noodle it's like starchy <laughs> it's thick you know like i i grew up eating shinsengumi too you know fountain valley when they opened like we'd go there and you know it was hakata ramen um it's tonkotsu but it's not as not that heavy, the really thin noodle. You can get kaidama, um, similar to like, you know, Hakata shops. Um, Santoka came out, they have this thick noodle that's very starchy and you're like, what the heck is this? And then even Daikokia, Daikokia had a curly wavy noodle in a tonkotsu broth. Um, and I would take Japanese friends in there to there and be like, they would be like, well, this isn't a tonkotsu noodle, um, which is true. But then as I started like researching and experiencing ramen all around Japan and all around the world, you kind of realize that this this is what makes ramen fascinating. Like I went to Asaikawa to the actual Santoka Honten, you know, the original shop, and you kind of understand why it has a starchy noodle. And then you start learning about these different regional styles. Like even Daikokia is based more on a Tokyo Ieke or Yokohama Ieke than it is, you know, Hakata. So once you start appreciating those kind of things, you, you kind of say like, oh, I get it now. I, I get it. Like even Gomen in Stanton. When I first had that, like on my blog, I, I gave it the worst <laughs> review ever. You know, and I was like, what is this crap? This isn't a Tonkotsu. It's like show you, like what show you in Tonkotsu, like what? And then you know, I hear that the master trained at Ide Shoten in Wakayama. And then when I actually went to Wakayama and ate that, that's when it connected. And I came back, ate at Gomen, and I was like, I get it now. 
like do you think people in america just don't have that experience to to appreciate the ramen that's being like made here in america and like the roots of where it's coming from i mean i feel like um i think just like a lot of people that uh go through like a ramen phases right like i remember when i first started eating ramen you think you know so much about it but then once you explore the world and see how big it is you kind of learn more about the different styles right like and you start to look for those uh those historical references of why certain broths are a certain way or certain noodles are a certain way but i feel like uh i would i would like to encourage people just to like eat as many styles as possible and eat as uh, many different uh ramenias as they can because uh i feel like a lot of people get stuck when they find their ramen shop that they like and they just keep on going to that place and they they bring their friends to that place and they tend not to to venture out to the different to the different uh ramen shops that offer different styles sean you you've been traveling a lot lately and i think in the past couple of years you've been to japan you've had you know the michelin rated ramen you've been all over europe you've been you know pretty much everywhere all over america to the top shops like how do you think that has changed your perspective from when you first started getting in and eating that bowl of santoka ramen i i think it's pretty um encouraging seeing like what the upper echelon of shops in America are doing. Um, like, you know, the Cafe Mochiko, uh, Menya Hosaki, Neighborhood Ramen, places like that. And it, it's just amazing just seeing like, I mean, a lot of them, you know, will do their tonkatsus, but they do a lot of like amazing, not, not just afterthought, like, like, hey, here's a bowl outside of tonkatsu that your friend that doesn't want tonkatsu can get, but actually feature really amazing chintons and, and other different styles. So I think that in that respect, it is encouraging seeing that pop up. But what's kind of a head scratcher is that like, okay, so we're heading in the right direction, but why hasn't it blown up yet? Like, you know, why, you know, especially in Southern California, where we have such a large Asian population and such a you know large ramen scene, like, why are we not like consistently moving in that direction? And it almost seems like, you know, like two steps forward, three steps back, um, you know, like, especially with like, you know, your shop, like shack closing and and different things like that. But I think like, you know, there is a desire out there. It's starting to grow, especially with like the help of social media and just seeing all these like, you know, different shops, you know, like Menu Rui. I mean, they, they are doing some amazing things and I don't think they have a tonkatsu on their menu. So it, it's starting to grow, but it's just, it, it's not really consistent growth. And we, you know, certain times like just seem to be going backwards. Like, as you mentioned, you know, um, one of the shops that's absolutely blowing up in LA is Ramanagi. And it definitely, you know, you see that more on social media and, you know, just different like food publications in LA than Alfuri. Um, but I think it is um, encouraging that Fury, like, you know, they are opening up the second shop because I was worried for a little bit that maybe like their downtown LA shop wasn't going to make it. But the fact they're opening up the second one is encouraging that um, there is some momentum, um, you know, growing. Um, but I'm also very jealous of these other like shops around the country, just seeing them do these like incredible gentais, like, you know, like a crab shio or, you know, um, a niboshi ramen and things like that. And you see them in like the random most remote places like, you know, Cincinnati and, um, you know, these other areas. And it's just like, why, why can't LA get that? <laughs> um, I mean, ours, you know, we have a big scene, but it's been very stagnant. Um, we have like, you know, some great shops, but it just seems like they have the exact same menu just, you know, month after month and year after year. It's just um, nothing new, nothing exciting outside of like, you know, the tonkatsu. Yeah, I think chains have been coming in for several years now from Japan. 
uh, but it just feels more prominent today because there aren't many mom and pop shops left to kind of offset, you know, those those other shops. Going through like my blog and looking at these like 2008 rankings that I used to put out, I mean, a lot of these shops, I mean, obviously Umemura is still there from the 80s and definitely, you know, our, one of our favorite ramen shops. I, I mean, I don't think it's the best ramen, but, you know, it hits the soul like perfectly. And, and that's why I really love it there. Like going through this list, like Cafe Asa. Asa Ramen was a really good ramen shop when they came out um, with ties to like Yokohama. Uh, but now, you know, they, they sold it and it's it's not the same as what it was. Um, Shin Mama Ramen in Torrance was good. It's gone. Um, there was a Gardena Ramen, a Shisen Ramen, a Kairakute in Tustin, and then Koryu, like you said, Sean, like in Costa Mesa. That was one of my favorite shops growing up too. Um, Kitakata Bandai is now in that old space. Yeah, the list goes on and on. Like Menbe, uh, Tamaya. Um, Tamaya is still there in, uh, I think, Roland Heights. Uh, Fufu Tei, of course, Hacienda Heights <clears throat> is still a good bowl that nobody really talks about. Yeah, I don't know. These shops were were pretty great back then. So with like the dominance of of all these uh, of these chains, right? Is would you would you guys say that it's LA's market? It's it's too difficult for like a mom and pop shop to to thrive in this environment these days with the the, the way that rent prices are going and the way that food trends are going. Yeah, I think like like because I feel like the sorry, go ahead. Sean. Oh, so, so I'm just gonna say that like just you know running a restaurant in general is just you know more and more work. Um, I mean. We've seen it here in Southern California, like with just, you know, really elite places to eat like Needle and, um, you know, Kin and PRD just closing because it's like so difficult to run a restaurant in general. And, you know, ramen shops are no exception. And, you know, we were just talking before this started about, um, you know, Mike's shop in Chicago. And it's just an incredible amount of work. And I, I think you almost need like to have the backing of a huge corporate um, brand or chain and have their resources and their, you know, their processes and SOPs and, and marketing power and things like that to really have a leg up and succeed in just what's like a really challenging environment for restaurants in general. Yeah, I always tell people I feel like ramen in America right now is is in this in its Olive Garden phase, you know what I mean? Like, um, basically, love those breadsticks. I, yeah, <laughs> well, I, mean, um, I, I keep drawing parallels to Italian food in America because um, it's my hope that ramen in America will kind of keep progressing and get to the point where people really appreciate and seek out things like handmade noodles, house-made sauces, um, and that becomes the norm. Where like if a shop's not doing that, then you're like, oh, that's that's kind of trash, you know. But um, it's hard to to keep in mind that it hasn't really been that long since ramen became kind of mainstream in America. Like, um, what, maybe 10, 15 years max in, in L.A. even, where like. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn, why can't this happen to rap? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> just I'll just kidding. pick up where Jay left yeah, off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, I think Jay has a point, right? Where, yeah, like when you're comparing it to, like he was saying, like, like the way Italian food progressed to where it is now, right? 
it started off with like your introduction into Italian food, maybe uh, Olive Garden. But then you, the more you get into it, you appreciate when people make their noodles in house, or when you when you're like, hey, this is a well crafted sauce. Uh, and I feel like it's, it's going to take some time for the mass the masses to get to that level of appreciation. Because I feel like I don't know. Um, you, I'm not, if you, if you guys can agree, like the the way so you were talking about your blog right in 2007 the way you think about ramen is so different than you think about ramen today correct yeah so i feel like is this going to take time for people to get into it and uh make those realizations of uh a progression i guess you know what i mean yeah i guess you know it's kind of like tacos too um in la and we've we've talked about this i mean we love tacos we like going out mm. to seek out those uh, food trucks and stands but ramen is similar to tacos i think back in the 80s and early 90s there wasn't that many like authentic mexican tacos you know mm. or or n- there probably were but we didn't know, know about them we didn't hunt them out and there weren't a lot of that but nowadays you know tacos you have these taco stands and food trucks that are are insanely authentic, traditional, and good, you know, like making their own tortillas and everything. And, you know, nobody really cares about Taco Bell Del Taco anymore. I mean, we still love that because it's from our childhood. But, um, yeah. you know, you really have this appreciation of, of a good taco. I think ramen is kind of, or I hope ramen is on that track too, but I just don't feel like it'll happen in our lifetime in a sense. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's <laughs> depressing. <laughs> right? You think, you know, 50 years ago, uh, some guy came from Mexico and was like, oh, tacos are trash. If, if he was still alive today, like he'd be seriously like uh, excited. I mean, I think, I think, I think ramen does have the potential to get to that point because I feel, um, I mean, there's such a, there's such a great demand for it. I just think, think the, the, the dialogue needs to be about expanding like the different styles that are available. You know what I mean? Um, Cause I feel like uh, when we get back to uh, talking about tacos again, right. About like, for, for me, it's like you see a taco stand, like you said, making their own tortillas, cutting the meat fresh. And like, it's a little details, right. Um, not a lot of ramen shops in LA are doing that. Like, uh, like doing the Kodawari craft style where it's like, when I was listening to your podcast with Mike about how he, uh, kind of like nerds out about every aspect of the bowl, the noodles, the broth, uh, you know, using wake for the, for the vegetables. I guess it's my hope to like Jay was saying, like my hope that ramen shop gets to that point where they are trying to seek craft. You know what I mean? But I feel like the shops these days, uh, it's just about turning a profit. And I think that's kind of a problem as well. Yeah. We got Jay back now. So I don't know if you want to <laughs> continue that thought you had before we lost you. I'm oh. happy to cut Raph off. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, having uh, phone issues. But um, yeah, I mean, just to wrap Jay is up, standing in line at Kashua Ramen right now. <laughs> getting ready for <laughs> handmade noodles, man. No, um, but um, yeah, I do hope that ramen progresses to a point where customers start demanding a certain level of quality. So restaurants have to start meeting that demand um, because they have to make money too, obviously. Like right now, it makes too much financial sense to give them, um, uh, for lack of a better term, shitty tonkotsu that's, you know, mass produced and easy and, and profitable for them because they're a business, you know. 
So I don't, I don't hate on them for that. But um, my worry is that as things progress, hopefully towards a craft, you know, centric ramen shop, um, things don't become too uh, high end, I guess, like where the only people doing really good Odawari ramen are going to have to make it a freaking tasting menu, you know? Um, and, and then otherwise you're going to have to go to a Shitty chain shop. For, for Sean, I think, you know, out of the three of you, he's actually delved into making ramen at home. Um, I've even tried a couple of your kits, um, which you have given me and it's actually pretty good. I mean, oh, you, you've really done your homework and studied, <clears throat> but for someone, you know, that has made ramen at home, like Kodawari style, like from the noodles to the soup, everything, how, like, how do you approach these shops in LA? Like, how does it make you feel now that, like, do you think you can make it better <laughs> than the shops? Like, like, what do you, what do you expect now? And like, what, what is your draw to keep going to eat at different ramen shops? Yeah. So in a lot of cases, I, I do feel like um, I can make a better bowl than most of these shops. And I, I tell a lot of my friends, I come try them and I'll tell them that like, Hey, I'm not very good at making ramen, but this might be the best bowl you ever had because I know that they've only gone to these like, you know, chain, you know, these chain shops. I'm not saying that like, you know, I'm better cooks or chefs than the people that make these ramens at the shops. But I think just as a ramen nerd, as a ramen head, um, I do care more about about like, you know, what I'm eating. Whereas I, you know, I, I don't have to like, you know, make like a really commercial, commercially appealing bowl to like, you know, pay my rent or anything like that. For me, it is a hobby. So I could like, you know, really, you know, just tailor every recipe, every bowl um, to, you know, to, to my own taste buds. Whereas I think for them, um, because of the amount of work and because they have to like pump out X number of bowls and sell X number of bowls, um, a lot of times they are, you know, taking the path of least resistance and they know that like, hey, I, I could like, you know, put hours into R&D and, you know, come up with this like really amazingly complex bowl of chinton or I could, uh, you know, put in like, you know, half the effort and put out tonkatsu that I know that's going to like, you know, else outsell that by like, you know, 10, 20 times. Um, but, you know, I, I still enjoy going to uh, going, going out and getting ramen. I, I eat a lot less of it these days, especially after going to Japan and just realizing that a lot of what I get is not going to you know, compare to what I've had in Japan. Um, but it's so cool just to go out there, just, uh, you know, just kind of like, you know, educate myself about different flavors, different ideas. And there, there's still definitely a handful of, you know, really amazing bowls in Southern California. I mean, they may not be the most exciting because, again, you know, they've been being, you know, they've been served for like years on end, um, you know, because a lot of these menus haven't changed. Um, but I think it's, it's a good balance to like, you know, eat what's out there and also to like, you know, make your own and try bowls from other home ramen cooks. And I, I know, you know, you've said it and I've heard it on ramen heads from Tomita that if you are a true ramen head, you have to go out there and experience and eat a lot of bowls, whether they're good bowls, bad bowls or mediocre bowls. Yeah, well said. I mean, I've I've always thought that as well. You know, I think when you go experience more, I mean, anything in life, the more experience you have, you know, the, the more of an understanding <clears throat> you have as a whole. So I guess. I don't know, bottom line, shops just have to keep pushing, uh, like keep pushing in what they believe in. I, I don't know. Or like, I guess it's really tough in this day and age um, to do that. But as you guys are mainly on the customer side, 
like how do you feel like how does it make you feel going out to eat ramen and i know you guys have experienced these you know bowls from other countries and and like japan and and around the world i guess what i'm trying to say is like from a customer point how do you approach things like how can you think how do you think you guys can change the ramen scene in la uh for me personally like with my instagram page uh the there's the shops that i tend to promote and champion are the ones that are doing something uh either classic or something different other than tonkotsu i just want to uh, i guess uh champion the shops that are doing something different and uh, let people know that there are other options out there um as far as like the LA ramen scene is concerned, like Sean mentioned earlier, it's been very, it's like plateaued and stagnant. Where I feel like for me, like when I went through uh, a phase of just trying every bowl in Southern California, I kind of had like, like what you like what you were doing in the two thousand eights. I probably tried to do like in the last five years, just try to like go through every single ramen shop in LA, and then like going over like finding your favorite ones and going multiple times and then to getting to the point where you're kind of bored of everything i'm at that point right now where i'm like uh i the only thing that will get me out to a ramen shop these days is like show me something brand new and exciting or, or something completely exciting other than that i'm like it's uh the 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 scene out here has been quite boring i guess from the eater side because it's the same old same old every time you know yeah i think as opposed to japan there are so many more ramen shops, you know, like neighborhood ramen shops that people can easily just walk a block or two and have a great bowl of ramen. It's really hard to do that here in America. You really have to travel for a good bowl. And I mean, even it might not be the best, but, you know, I've always thought like the neighborhood bowl is always, you know, the best bowl of ramen that you can have. Like even in America, I, mean, I feel like I'm closest to like Kashua Ramen, so I go there all the time. Um, I know Hirosan, I know the staff, like they know me. We collaborate on stuff, so that's really like my hometown bowl right there. Um, aside from making it myself at home. Yeah, I think it it is great to have that local option. Um, you know, I'm really lucky to be pretty close to Kashua and and now Munchikin as well. So I, I know that um, that yeah, I could grab a bowl like you know pretty much like, you know, any time, like a decent bowl. Um, but one thing I will say is that, you know, like the other handful of great shops, like, you know, go a little further up to LA that I like, you know, like Joe Sui and Venice. I mean, they're all really, really solid, amazing ramen. And they're definitely the upper echelon of bowls in America and Southern California. But then just going to Japan, like, you know, these types of bowls, as good as they are here, they're you're probably like your typical run-of-the-mill bowl that you could get in, in Japan. I mean, they're not going to be like, you know, in like the, the the top like rankings for tabalog or anything like that but for america i mean they're they're really solid they um you know they satiate a craving and everything like that and you, you do definitely need bowls like that but of course as ramen heads we all hope that you know the scene continues to progress into um you know how diverse and exciting and delicious it is in japan um you know one thing i really enjoyed was you know i was just recently in copenhagen and i went to slurp ramen joint um, and for those that don't know Slurp Ramen Joint, it, it's a pretty well-known shop in Europe. Um, the master, the founder, he used to work at Noma. After he left Noma, he went to Tokyo and uh, trained how to make ramen for two or three years and then came back and made it. And the place was 
constantly packed and they had like a, you know, a queue outside, just like you have the shops in Japan. And I was pretty amazed that like, you know, the super popular shop in Copenhagen, which is thousands and thousands of miles from Japan and from America, um, they had this huge following and they did not have a tonkatsu on the menu. Um, in fact, when I went, they only had four bowls. They did a shio, a shoyu and a veggie, which is on the regular menu. And they had um, a miso, a spicy miso at night, which was chicken based. And I, I think it is really amazing just to see like, you know, just, um, you know, you don't even really think of Copenhagen as a mecca for Asian food to have like such a successful, busy, popular shop um, that featured amazing bowls like world-class bowls outside of tonkatsu yeah shout out to slurp <laughs> to avoid confusion for people in la the slurp here is not what sean is talking about <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> yeah slurp in copenhagen I'm not, i won't say much because it's kind of off topic but you know yeah i'm good friends with philip in reader and nice. you know i've met up him a few times but yeah like that shop is actually connected to Hototogisu. And when Philip was in Japan, he went up to Yamamoto-san and said, teach me your recipes. And Yamamoto-san was like, okay, here you go. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, so that that's, like, I don't even think he really trained there for a long time. It was just one of those wow. things where like, okay, I'll, I'll teach you. Like, you love ramen. And then that became Slurp. So yeah, Raph, if you want to move to Tokyo and like bring a ramen shop back, you know, I, I know you're looking to change so careers. <laughs> right? I think we're all waiting for Jeff to open up his own shop and then we'll go there for the grand opening. Yeah. Uh, can we, uh, that's a, Jeffrey that's the Wayne. Yep, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he turned 30 recently. He's no longer young Jeff. He's, he's old Jeff now. It's middle-aged <laughs> Or just Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If yeah. you guys don't know Jeffrey the Wang on Instagram, he's... Right now, he's working in and living in Tokyo, and you know, uh, on his weekend off time from his regular job, he works at Ramen Feel, which is you know the descendant of the top ramen shop in Tokyo. And yeah, I hope he doesn't open his own shop one day. But if he does, I hope he does it in LA. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. We we need it. We need it. One one last thing I kind of want to mention um, with this whole like tonkotsu boom and the ramen boom that has happened and the mom and shops being, you know, less frequent in L.A. Um, I want to talk about the price uh, of ramen. When I left L.A. in like 2009 and moved to Tokyo, I think L.A. was still a relatively cheap bowl of ramen, you know it was still around that $10, $12 range. And then when I moved to New York in 2013, I was blown away that New Yorkers were paying like $18 for a bowl. Like I think Ibudo at that time was, yeah, 17 for the Akamaru. And then if you add all these toppings, you know, it gets more expensive. But 2013, LA was still a cheap bowl. Like if people would say like, oh, you can't do New York ramen in LA because you can't charge that much. But nowadays, it's up there. You know, it's basically on the same par as New York. Um, I went to, I recently took a family to a ramen shop in LA. I'm not going to mention the name, uh, but the final bill, you know, five of us, three three small children, two adults uh, with, with appetizer and then bowls for me and my wife and another bowl to share for the kids, you know, the, the bill was like 150 bucks. Um, and then I went, you know, I go to an OC ramen shop 
which is still kind of like not the same level as LA, but in OC, I went to a ramen shop, five, like same family, five of us. Um, we ended up paying $50 on the check. So it's like, that's a huge discrepancy just within the same Southern California. Do you guys think that hurts ramen? I mean, I, I, I for one, would love to pay for a cheap bowl of ramen and like even having the ramen shop myself, I feel guilty like charging 20 bucks, even though I know like the effort I'm putting in the labor, I can easily probably charge twice that amount. Um, but, you know, how do you guys feel about this as a consumer and customer of ramen? Paying for quality for me is never an issue, but, um, but we don't have a lot of shops offering quality. Well, I think Casey, you're the so you're the, you're the only one here that's actually owned a restaurant and run a restaurant in Southern California before. So I feel like the the idea of like having a low cost bowl of ramen, uh, ten to twelve dollars, it, it seems an impossible way to work out a living. Correct? Yeah. Like the the way that the the food costs are, I feel like uh, you can't you can't sell a bowl less than fifteen to twenty dollars in Los Angeles anymore, uh, because you're you're not going to be able to work out a living. Yeah, even in Orange uh, County, I don't think you can. Unless yeah. you own the building, you own the property, you know, or if you're doing it out of your house. Well, I think like in terms of the cost and how prohibitive it is to like, you know, running a successful shop, I, I think it really comes down to like what market you're targeting. Like if you're going to be targeting like just ramen heads like, you know, us in this uh, on, on this call, um, then yeah, like, you know, for us to consistently eat at a shop over and over again, then yeah, we, we'd like to see those 10 to $12 bowls. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, there's not enough ramen heads to really sustain like, you know, a shop out here. And I think like, you know, they're starting to like, um, you know, like some of the more well-known shops in LA, like Nagi and uh, Tonchin and those shops, they're really tapping into like, you know, the whole entire foodie scene, um, social media and things like that, where you're going to be targeting people that, you know, might come to your shop once a month. And they want that experience. And I almost feel that like for them to feel that they are getting that high end dining experience, you almost have to charge that much. And it's like for some of those people, they might be thinking like, oh, this $12 bowl of shoyu can't be very good. Um, I want to go here and pay, you know, $20 or $25 for this bowl of tonkatsu with like all these extra, you know, toppings and, and things like that. Does price drive your decision to eat at a ramen shop? Absolutely. Um like like Sean mentioned earlier, like uh, the the ramen shop that I frequent the most is uh, Umemura in Gardena because I can just literally go there, order a bowl, get some gyoza, and walk out and not too worry too much about the bill. But uh, I think the the trend now with like if you look at these bigger operations in Los Angeles, like Afuri, Tonchin, and uh, even like a place like Ikiramen, that new spot in Hollywood, it's like. Uh, it's it's geared towards more like the setting, the vibe, and like uh, like you're paying to be in a beautiful big restaurant. You know what I mean? And they have all these sides, and it's like uh, not that we lost the plot, but it's like the the ramen isn't also like isn't the main show. Like like some some places are uh, focusing on their appetizers or other dishes that are available as well. But I feel like uh, some of these restaurants, um, yeah, we, we we're losing the losing the plot a bit about. Uh, ramen shops it's not just about the ramen anymore it's about like uh the other the other food that's available and the environment um and and i think that drives the price up for some of these places as well yeah i'd like to think that as the ibudo effect um, from a new york point of view because when ibudo arrived in new york city 
<clears throat> they were like a hundred seat ramen shop and they did not just have ramen. You know, they really catered to that New York market of people, the American way of wanting to sit down at a restaurant, socialize, have drinks, have appetizers. And they kind of, I think, propelled that model, like the izakaya style ramen shop in America. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what all these chains come in and they see is what's working, you know, get capitalizing off cocktails and stuff like Afridi has a full bar. Um, I think that's kind of what you need nowadays in America to really succeed. I mean, I, I'm sure the chains have it hard too. Like it's not only um, like having a lot of capital. I think, you know, obviously rents have gone up, labor has gone up, food costs has gone up. Um, so I have heard like some chains are struggling too. Um, and in the past, like chains that have come over that aren't here anymore. You know, I remember like back then, like Chabuya was a big chain from, from Tokyo that came over here and they didn't last long. And, and unfortunately they, they even filed for bankruptcy in Japan. Um, but you know, you, you never know, like all these shops that come in, of course, like you need a lot of money. Like Mike and I, on the last episode, we talked about like, he, he didn't anticipate needing like so much money. You just need money to keep a shop open or to open it and, and keep it going. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't see prices coming down anytime soon. I mean, our, the, with the, with inflation or whatever, it's just going to keep going up. Um, so would you say that the cost, the cost of admission to open up a mom and pop shop in Los Angeles is a deterrent for anyone to try and do that here? Yeah, well, just from personal experience recently, you know, I I've actually been dabbling into getting back in the game and looking at empty spaces and negotiating do it leases with <laughs> landlords, but but it is tough. Like you have all these like clauses in there. Like I didn't experience this in New York when I was, you know, leasing a a, a space, but here you have a lot of this like percentage rent that goes along with the base rent. Like in a shopping center, like if you do more than, I don't know, 800,000 in revenue a year, then the landlord will take like five to 10% of that, of whatever you make upon that. It's like, that that's crazy. Like if you work so hard to get to that revenue level and then you have to like kick yeah. it back to somebody else, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to sell that much. <laughs> God, that's crazy. I never knew that. Yeah, I mean, I, that's just my experience of seeing. I'm, I'm sure, like, if I were to continue negotiation, maybe we can get that clause out or whatever. But I think it's really just tough looking at the numbers and having the experience. And, you know, in it, I think to really make money, like, I've talked to other, like, owners of chains and, and bigger restaurants, like, the reason why you open a 50 seater or hundred seater is because once you leave that space and you hand it over to like employees to keep it running, that's the only way you're going to make money. Like if you have a 20 seater, 30 seater and you're in there all the time working and like, you're going to make enough money to live, you know, support yourself. But once you like kind of step away and hand it over to the staff you know, all that money that's being generated is just like being consumed by the restaurant, by the, by the space, you know, is you no longer 
really profit off of the restaurant yourself. So I think that's kind of the issue of how mom and pops disappear, uh, right? Because, you know, they've been doing it for a long time themselves. And then as they get older, they try to hand it off. And that's kind of when that handoff, it just becomes, uh, you know, like a, like a strain, right? Like headaches. You only, you only get to experience the bad side of things. So it's, it's more like, I don't want to do this. This is stressing me out. Like I'm trying to be retire. Like I'm just going to like cut it off and close it. You know, I think that that's might be some part of it. How do you feel about um, like the, the food hall model, like opening up a shop in the food hall where your overhead is a lot lower and you know, your capacity and space to serve a lot more bowls increases as well. Yeah. I've done food halls in New York. Um, it's obviously a lot of foot traffic. Um, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because with ramen, ramen is not really like, especially Kodawari ramen, it's really hard to mass produce and sell like, I don't know, 500 bowls a day, thousand bowls a day. It's really tough. Like you really have to have like a commercial side of prep, like making stuff. And I think that's why a lot of shops go and take those shortcuts of not making everything. Um, Cause yeah, if you're doing a thousand bowls a day, just think about it. Like, how much soup you're going to be making and how much noodles you're going to have to make. If, if you're making everything from scratch, like you really need a central kitchen to do all this if you're going to do it properly. Um, so it does become like something more and more expensive than what it is. Um, and also food court, they, I, food courts usually take like a percentage rent. Um, that's, kind of the way it is because they take care of um, all the like cleaning and uh, shared space and all that Um, so that's that's kind of typical ghost kitchens whatever they usually take like a percentage uh, because in their eyes it's like they're bringing the customers to you so that that's like their their cost right so the the busier they that you are the more they get. Um, so food halls, I'm not against it. If I was single, you know, and still a workaholic, and then I could do it. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to do unless you just hand it off and just do a cookie cutter model. How do you feel about here? Um, how do you feel about uh, every so often on YouTube? I see those um, those uh, yatai stalls in Japan just selling ramen on the street. I feel like in LA, right? They're like a lot of these taco stand businesses don't have licenses and they just pop up on the street and start <laughs> selling them tacos on the corner. How do you feel about street ramen in, in America? Is it viable? Is it, is it too crazy of an idea to do? Cause that way, cause I feel like if the people with the taco stands are doing it already, like why not give it a shot? Start slinging the ramen on the street. I think it's tough because ramen, you know, the, the broth is the hardest part. You have to have a lot of, of broth. And it's not like, like taco trucks, they can take the meat to this, to the location and they can start cooking it there and prepping it. It's not like you're going to take like cases of bones to this corner and start 
like a stock in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's really tough to do. Like if you don't have a kitchen to prep all that. Um, I, yeah. And then just like, if you do prep it elsewhere, taking that stock, like, I mean, I did that with Smorgasburg in, in New York, you know, I would prep it at my mm. kitchen and then we'd have to like carry big pots, like 200 How bowls. How many bowls could you, how many, 200 bowls? I think, yeah, at, I think we were doing like 180 a day at our busiest winter. Um, and that is, you have to do like takeout there too. I only had like six seats on the counter, mm. but you have to, you know, and, and 200, that's a lot. That's a lot. Like I always compare it to ramen burger because ramen burger, I can go to Smorgasburg and sell like 1500 like that. Right. And it's just like cooking constantly. Um, there's no way you can do 1500 bowls of ramen in a six hour period at an event, yeah. you know, unless everything was pre-cooked already, like pre-boil or whatever. And you're just pouring soup and or if you have a microwave or something. Jay, are you back or what? Sort of. Sorry, my phone is uh, <laughs> overheating constantly. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I mean, it's been an hour, over an hour. Any last words on, on ramen in L.A.? Like, any hopes and dreams? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think we've come to the point, right, with the way we've discussed it. I don't know. It doesn't seem very hopeful, right? <laughs> <laughs> It, really, it does kind of sound dire. Um, I feel like uh, we're, we're losing a lot of mom and pop shops and uh, the chains are taking over. So I don't know. How do you guys feel? Like, because the way I look at it, it's, I, I guess it sounds, if I'm being real, it sounds very pessimistic about where the ramen scene's going. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, nothing really excites me right now um, in Southern California unless I see, like, you know, someplace do like a special bowl i know nagi they've done some you know pretty awesome specials here and there um but they're few and far between um so that's why like you know most times when i think about ramen i just think about my next trip to japan but um you know please if you're you know listening to this and you're a ramen eater go out there you know support some of the chinton shops support some of the mom and pops um over like you know the big massive chains yeah i have hope as long as i have one of keizo's kits in my freezer so <laughs> yeah keep those coming then, then i'm hopeful that i'll be able to eat a good bowl of ramen but yeah i mean i think i think things will will get there one day but um whether or not like i said it's gonna be the ramen shops that we all you know grew up eating or some of us grew up eating at and knowing and loving or whether it's gonna all be fine dining um Izakaya ramen, like you said, um, remains to be seen. Yeah, I definitely don't want to bash on any of the chains. I still think it's really good for the industry as a whole. Um, definitely would love it if people just still keep eating ramen. And, you know, it starts with the customer, the customer uh, knowing what they're eating, respecting it. And, you know, I I, I really hate it when I see or, or hear things like, oh man, that egg is hard boiled. That's the worst. Like, I hate that, you know. Um, of, of course, like a, a, a hanjuku, you know, egg is is delicious. And if it's marinated pop properly, it looks amazing in a bowl. Uh, but there are histories, you know, historical aspects to why a bowl would be, or a, why an egg would be hard boiled in a bowl. Like Venice Ramen makes a really amazing bowl of shoyu and tonkotsu. 
uh, everything in house, you know. But I've heard people say like, "Oh, that egg is horrendous." <laughs> um, but I think things like that, you know, like, take it with a grain of salt. Like, you don't need to judge it too much. Um, be that picky. Um, just enjoyable. Like, go to your local spot. Um, I guess that that's it for me. You know. All right. Well, yeah. There's hope, right? There's still hope for ramen in our lifetime to to, to make. It. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry if I'm being such a pessimist. I'm so sorry. It's just that I, sometimes I feel that uh, I, I would like to have hope, but uh, you know, having hope for so long and nothing happening, kind of a uh, kind of a uh, deflates you a little bit sometimes. But yes, uh, I guess. Uh, I would say like, what Sean was saying to you, eat, uh, eat at your favorite shops, champion them, and you know, eat, eat more ramen. Go ramen, go life. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I hope to have you guys over on another Sunday. We'd have our, you know, ramen church. It's been a while. Amen. Definitely. All right, take it easy. See ya. See y'all soon. All right, later, y'all. Bye. I love the ramen podcast.